Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into this episode with Scott Legere, uh, I have a bunch of really cool things to tell you. Number one, make sure you stick past the end of the episode to hear the uh, secret message from our mastering engineer, Brandon Yoakum. And number two, uh, I want to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest level of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. Normally, uh, I have uh, these ads that I read, but I just want to get straight to the to the punch here. Uh, there's a number of codes that I have available for the listeners of this podcast to use, and so I want to share those right now. One, you can use Horn Spit one two two one. That's Horn Spit twelve twenty one to get a three hundred dollar gift card with the purchase of any new horn over three thousand dollars. You could also use Case Spit. 1221 to get you a $50 gift card with the purchase of any new horn case over $400 and mouthpiece spit 1221 to get a $10 gift card with the purchase of any new horn mouthpiece over $60. All of these codes are going to expire at the end of December. So if you're a horn player and you've been looking into getting a new instrument or a new case or a new mouthpiece, this is the time to do it. I'll leave the links in the description. You can check that out and uh, take advantage of it if you want. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. Whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you're looking for. Go to Houghtonhorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and today I'm excited to be here with Scott Legere, right? I did it right? right. Yeah. All right, nailed it. Um, Scott is a second-year Horn Fellow at uh, the New World Symphony in Miami Beach, and he also has incredibly active social media platforms, more so than... Uh, mine, I just posted some playing videos and every once in a while be lifting, but uh, Scott is quite active at creating content and uh, quite creative content. I feel like you've done a really a really nice job finding out how to make reels and TikTok videos like specific to <laughs> musicians, you know, appropriating some of the trends that are happening and being able to figure out how to do it for musicians. So I think that's pretty cool. We can talk about some of that creativity, but uh, I'm excited to speak with you. You sound beautiful on your instrument, as I was mentioning before. And so I think my audience will hopefully have a lot to learn from you. Uh, so before we get started, I really appreciate you being on the show and giving me some of your time. Of course. Thanks for having me. Let's just get started with your backstory, uh, where you got started, um, when you picked up the horn, all those kinds of things, following your education. And uh, well, we'll just go from there. Right. Yeah, sure. So I, I started playing uh, trumpet in the fifth grade, actually. And then I switched to horn after my band director found out I have perfect pitch, <laughs> which is a pretty, pretty quick switch. Uh, it's something that happens. I feel like they always say the horn players have to have the ears, right? Mm. And so he did not he did not let that slip by. 
Um, <laughs> and then I, you know, I just started practicing from then on, and I just loved it, loved playing, loved practicing. Um, I would get to the band hall an hour, hour and a half before school every morning um, in middle school and high school and just practice. Um, and that's just kind of what I did um, until I eventually I went to SMU for my undergraduate degree in Dallas, Texas, which um, I did a degree in music education uh, and got my whole did the whole thing, did the teacher certification, did everything I could. Uh, and then I did teaching for a little bit and decided that I was going to still needed to go back to back to school. And uh, I ended up going to the Yale School of Music for my master's degree. And I even stuck around for a portion of a doctorate degree. Uh, but until I got invited to join the New World Symphony uh, in 2019. And then in 2019, January 2019, I started at New World. And I've been there ever since, playing orchestra concerts every week. And then, um, of course, over the pandemic, we didn't have much going on. Um, so I decided that I would just start uh, doing whatever I could to record myself and just put music out there. Um, and it, it also started, I was doing a concert program with New World um, called Live From Our Living Room. And Live From Our Living Room was a concert series that we produced in inside of our apartment building in Miami Beach, Florida. Um, and I had no idea what I was doing. They just handed me a camera and a microphone and said, like, someone's got to run it. And I, I, <laughs> I was just the one that said, I'll do it. I'll run it. Um, never used this equipment before, never tried any of it. Um, and I did 20, I produced 20 concerts like that uh, as live from our living room. And then, you know, that's where the sort of, I think after that point was when the social media stuff really started um, taking off and becoming a big part of my career is because I realized that like actually having those skills and being able to record myself in a really high quality um, and productive way, um, there was no reason not to put that out there and to share it with other people too. And so, you know, it started with weekly etude recordings. Um, I did an educational series called The Short Call for a while where I just kind of recorded myself giving tips and tricks and things like that. Um, eventually, I started recording um, solo works, um, like large-scale recordings with um, horn and piano. Um, I, I didn't do it on my page, but for other pages, I started producing recordings for string quartets and videos for string quartets and things like that. Um, and now we're at a point where the page um, has expanded to a lot of different things. It is, um, it is the, it's still doing the etude recordings and the performances. It's still the educational content. And now it's also the sort of TikTok and, and real things, you know, just trying to have fun and be funny and, and make, make classical music a really entertaining thing to follow and, and kind of have that life as a classical musician, that sort of portfolio of all these activities that you do as a musician be something that is interesting to, um, to interact with on the internet. Yeah. All right. There's just so much to, <laughs> to unpack there. Um, I would like to start with, you got a music education degree and then mm -hmm. you did some teaching and now you're in Miami beach in a, uh, basically part that's like a professional orchestra but it's i think under sort of the auspices of a quote training orchestra even though right. all of you it sounds like a professional orchestra and everybody wants to do that so being a part of that group is saying i would like to orient my life towards becoming a member of an orchestra at one point so the i guess the question i have is oftentimes we have to make this choice of like i'm going to pursue 
being in an orchestra mm-hmm. to justify, you know, what it takes to be able to do that. So did that happen somewhere in between this, like, I am teaching, now I'm in New World? Or had, were you always wanting to pursue that, uh, but, like, maybe you didn't think it could happen, and then you got better, and then you saw, maybe I could do this? Like, when did you make this sort of mental, like, I'm going to pursue this kind of thing? And, uh, I'm yeah, I just kind of want to start there. Yeah, so I, I actually think that I want to reframe the premise of that question a little bit, because it's sort of this idea that, like, you know, people decide, and brass players especially have to do this young because we're introduced to classical music through orchestra. That is how we we learn about classical music. That's how we sort of do it. And so the idea is actually from a very young age, I was probably much more excited about um, getting into an orchestra and being an orchestral musician and doing that right out of the gate. And that's something I want to do the whole time. When I did my music education degree, um, that was sort of, that the education degree, would, I love teaching and of course, high school band is what made me passionate about music in the first place. It was also this idea of like, if one day I couldn't ever play music anymore, I should have, I should have something in my back pocket that I can still interact with music and do music professionally. If for whatever reason I can't play French horn again. Um, And I, I felt like that was a really important thing to do, especially because just a pro tip, most of the time your music ed classes coursework and your music performance coursework are actually identical except for like electives. And so the way you can always think about it in college is like, you're going to be taking these electives anyway um, to get your degree in music performance. I just took mine in music ed classes, and that ended up being a music ed degree. Um, obviously, student teaching at the end. So, I, I, and then I did student teaching, um, and I actually ended up being a junior high band director for a while just because of some some things that happened. Things always happen. Teachers have to leave suddenly, and, and um, you know, they're more than happy to give a provisional teaching license to somebody if, if they need them last minute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's like anything to avoid a job search sometimes. Uh, so I ended up actually teaching junior high band, uh, which was really fun. Uh, but at the same time, it was kind of one of those things where you're like, man, I, these kids are great. I love teaching these kids, but there's there's nothing quite like being on stage. Um and so I think at that point I was, I was like, my career should, I want my career to be focused around performing music. Um, and then actually as time has gone on, especially after joining the New World Symphony, the sort of idea that like your career is you get the big full-time job and then you live happily and you're good is it's actually the door has been opened so wide that like a, a really a professional musician career, even if you're an orchestra musician, um, there's so many things to do under that umbrella. It's such a broad career um that do i still am i still taking auditions to get into a full-time orchestra absolutely and like will i will i be doing that as long as um it's possible to have a future in that career and and i think i'm doing well and getting better auditions of course but i don't think my career will be done if i do land a big job i think it's there's still room room to get bigger and to grow yeah i would agree wholeheartedly it's like i asked that question knowing that it's not, I kind of asked the question knowing that it's not the right question to ask, you know, (laughs) I I, I asked the question as like, that's, it's often framed that way. And that's certainly how I thought about it when I was Mm -hmm. younger, you know, but now it's so much more obvious that like just pursuing excellence in music will just open doors. And, and so you certainly have to sort of make a decision. I want to pursue this because it's such a specific thing. Like, I don't think it's, I, I, I don't think it's possible just to casually get better at your instrument and then go win an orchestra job because, I, like I said, I think it's so specific. But the idea that 
that's the end all be all. Like I'm going to do this. Uh, and I, I just, I think the problem is, and I'll be curious, I don't know what it's like at New World, but once you get into a job and you see what the reality of a job is, you realize this isn't necessarily what I thought it was going to be, you know, and like you start to look for outside sources of inspiration and all that kind of stuff too. So I think you're kind of hitting the, the nail on the head, so to speak here. Um, I would, I guess the next question then would be, um, if you didn't, let's say, you know, there's no guarantees, right? There's no guarantees mm -hmm. of winning a job or anything like that. Like, w at what point would you say I'm no longer going to pursue this? Um, and I'm going to, you know, shift my efforts into something else. Is it like if the social media stuff grows and you develop a presence in other ways, would you just follow that? Or would you, is there like sort of in your mind a hard cut somewhere? Uh, I don't know. I think that what's, what's been really interesting about being present on social media and being very open with sharing music and just sharing what I'm doing and, and just showing myself having a good time um, is that it has already um, changed the trajectory, like how my career is being thought of. Um, you know, in some ways, like people, like top tier professional musicians that I look up to and respect know know my recordings they know they're following they see what i'm doing their students know what i'm up to they see my recordings and they're talking to them about it and and it's kind of like it, the social media has been a really amazing way to sort of gain sort of like a, a footing as an artist and say like no i'm actually here i've been studying music for a long time and i'm really good um i think i'm really good and i think i have something to say and something to share i don't need to wait for a, an audition committee to tell somebody that I'm, I'm worthy of, of, you know, that I, that my art is good. I don't need to wait for someone else to tell me that I can just make myself, I can create. Um, and that's kind of what I think is so special about this, this, uh, the social media stuff is that you don't actually, you, you kind of get to decide what your, your art is and you get to just make it and put it out there. And what that's, Come, become for me is that I get a lot more invitations to teach at colleges and teach at high schools over Zoom. Um, I am doing more solo recitals and more solo gigs than I've ever done before. Um, and all of that isn't because, uh, like, I don't think I suddenly became a really good musician that was worthy of those gigs or that, that was good enough to be invited to do those things. It's just that I was present. I was now suddenly, uh, you know, I was like a member of the community for the first time. Um, and people could see that I was a member of the community and then they invited me to do more more music and make more music. So, yeah, I think, is there a moment where I say I'm not going to do orchestra stuff anymore and I'm just going to be a soloist or an Instagrammer? Uh, I don't know. It needs to make <laughs> a lot more money soon <laughs> for that to happen. Yeah. Uh, but but at the same time, starting it um, and and why I think it's been so great has just let me do so many different things in my career that I, I never thought I would have. Like I thought, for example, I thought I would have to be a big principal horn in some big orchestra and then, um, you know, have to hire a, you know, a recording artist and uh, get a booth and do all this big thing and record a CD um, to have a, a recording of Adagio and Allegro out there in the world. And it's like, no, actually, all I had to do was just do it. I just had to sit down. I mean, obviously, it took a lot of learning and it took a lot of practicing and it, it took a lot of just, you know, time to make that recording, but I could just do it myself. Uh, 
and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute. I actually, I dreamed about that. There was years ago, I thought one day I'm going to have a recording of Adagio and Allegro out in the world. And here it is. I made it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the coolest part of doing this stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to play devil's advocate just slightly here. Sure. Because I think one of the, one of the things that you have going for you is how good you sound on your instrument, certainly. <laughs> I think other people may hear you talk and say, well, that sounds great for Scott, but he sounds amazing. I don't, I, I, I'm not that good at my instrument yet, so I couldn't do that. So that's the first angle. And the second angle is, uh, from what it appears, there are resources available to you uh, through the New World Symphony that you've been able to really, I mean, that's, I actually admire how much you've taken advantage of the resources available and certainly then then the way to say it to other people would be well just do you what you can with what you have mm -hmm. right but do you think there's ever essentially what's your response to something like that scott you're so good and you're at new world of course it's easy for you and you can just make it what would be your response to something like that so the first thing i would respond to is my channel and my page started with an iphone and a yeti blue microphone that i'm using right now to record um it like that's what the channel started with uh and most people have a phone that can record and your phone probably is the best camera you can buy like right. the, the, it's the the price jump between the like a dslr or a mirrorless camera or something like that is insane compared to how good your phone probably is to record things so buying a ten dollar tripod already makes your video so much better and then for audio learning like you know taking any a, a usb microphone like a yeti blue or or finding a, a zoom h6 um, if you can find that in a nice space, your audio is all of a sudden going to sound so much better. Um, and then it just becomes a matter of learning, you know, these these little little editing things that you can do in Final Cut, like learning how to kind of put together and master a recording. So the actual, you know, the the um, the equipment that I do have access to because I'm at New World. Um, I would say what it does more so is it makes the the recordings they have like a higher chance of being long-term things. They were going to look better for longer, right? Mm -hmm. But the page grew from an iPhone and a Yeti. You know, that's all it did. Um, and the skills that I, like, it was more so like really watching a lot of YouTube and reading a lot of tutorials and really studying how people made these recordings that that sort of, all for free. I didn't pay for a single class, a single course, but I watched a lot, a lot, a lot about professionals doing this um, just on the internet and figuring out how they did it and trying to copy it for myself. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing, um, yeah, of course you need to, you need to sound good and you need to have a product that's worth presenting but just like anything in the world there are um there are there's levels right there's tiers of of sort of artistic achievement and the idea that like only the very best have something to offer is is a classical music only issue we are the only people who do this if you're on tiktok and you're on instagram and you're on youtube there are there are teenagers there are young adults at every level of, of, of artistic ability, sharing their songs, singer-songwriter stuff, girls in their bedroom, guys at a bar recording their stuff. They get to share their stuff. You get to share your stuff too. Um, and if people like it, they like it, and they, they watch it, and they comment, and they like, and they give you encouragement. 
Uh, and if they don't like it, they usually ignore you. And if they tell you they don't like it, you ignore them. You know, that's kind of how <laughs> this the two way street. It's it's. And so I think everyone has a place, you know, right? And as long as you have something interesting to share and you're you're really believing in your product, I, you know, people all the time, one of the most uh, followed accounts on Instagram for classical music is, is a bass trombone player, a freshman at Juilliard, uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah Plays Trombone is the account name. She, you know, she just posts her warmups and her practicing every day. And she sounds great. She's doing a good job. But what's also interesting is that the practice is very good practice. It's a very good example of how to practice because she practices really well. She's not at a professional level yet. She's not, you know, going to be winning auditions left and right. But she sounds good. She has a very consistent message. And she shows she's very vulnerable in showing her process. And that's what people are gravitating for and find interesting. Uh, And that's that's something that anybody can do. Yeah, I mean, it's. That's it's this kind of idea is something I've struggled with for a, a long time is I, I think putting out consistent stuff, I guess, content on mm-hmm. on the Internet has really forced me to ask, why am I doing this? <laughs> because it doesn't turn out to be well, if like, like you said, it doesn't turn out like, well, if I'm the quote, one of the best at what I do, you would have the biggest following or you would have the most engagement. It's like certain pockets of people have figured out their communities and and mm-hmm. and that seems to be what it's more about is like doing the thing that you do and just doing it consistently. You can't really like argue with like the consistency part of it. But I think when I first started, I was like, oh, I'll just start putting stuff up and then everyone will like care about this thing. And then I'll just get to tell, you know what I mean? Like I thought it was going to be this process that it it wasn't. And um, it's been I've learned a lot about myself. We'll put it that way. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I've learned a lot about myself and why I'm doing certain things. And is that the best reason to do it? Um, because it seems like it's caused me over the course of time more frustration than anything. <laughs> but I think that's because I was doing it for reasons that aren't going to be long-term reasons, if that makes sense. Like it's not sustainable. So turning it back on you, someone <laughs> who's been able to produce so much content, so so consistently... Uh, what is your what's your motivation? Like, what's the thing that says when I post this, like I'm satisfied with the result of it? How do you determine that? Yeah, um, it's been very interesting because I think when I started, I was much more of a perfectionist about the sort of things I wanted. I wanted to get the one take that was perfect all the way through. And I would sit and I would record until it was that way and the video needed to look exactly right and everything it was so much more that i was missing the point entirely right that that the 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 quality of what i was doing did not need to be perfect it needed to be honest it needed to be very it needed to be at a level that i was proud of and i needed to be able to show that it was at a excuse me i needed to be able to show that it was a level that i was proud of but it didn't need to be perfect so that's the first thing i had to learn The second thing I had to learn is that what did my audience actually want from these videos? Because what I wanted was to be able to show really great horn playing. Cool. That's mostly what my audience wanted too. But they also wanted to like see somebody practicing. They wanted to see somebody working on it. They wanted to see how somebody thinks about music. They wanted to see what my, not just, not just like, could I play the opening of Mahler 3, but like, 
why like what what do I do when I play the opening of Molly Free? What do I think about it? And so then it became a thing of like, well, I'm already going to be practicing every day. Like that's I, I do that already. Uh, I might as well just set up a camera and just play through a couple things while I'm practicing and then just write about my practice. And so that how became how a lot of those excerpt videos happened and those sorts of things. And then I also realized that like people seemed to respond really well when I was funny uh, and I was funnier than I thought I was. <laughs> um, and so then it just kind of like snowballed from there. And actually a lot of the, to be honest, a lot of the, the memes and reels came from this idea of like, I'm going to try to post every day, but there is no way on earth that I have enough time to make a video every single day. It is not possible. So I need something where I can spend honestly like an hour and pump out like seven seven memes, seven pictures, seven just meme images. Uh, and that's that's like seven weeks of content in an hour. That's great. You know, that's like every time I don't have a um, I don't have a video that day. Boom, here you go. Here's a funny little video or, you know, picture like those sorts of things of of like, you know, I thought at the beginning, my audience, they they want to they want an etude on on Friday and they want a short call on Monday. And that's what they, they don't they didn't want that. They wanted just to have a page that was exploring and and enjoying music. And so that's what I tried to do. And then, of course, you do have to take into effect all the algorithm stuff and the like behind the scenes Instagram things to to make sure that people are actually seeing what you're posting. And that's a whole mess. Uh, <laughs> but that yeah, that's. But but that's really what it is. It's just how I think about the page. It's like it's it's making making honest, genuine content, um, and and being, you know, thinking about what your audience wants, what your audience expects from you, and really just going for that, going for that audience, and giving them what they're expecting and what they they want from you, um, because that's how you have a successful page at five hundred followers, at two thousand followers, at a hundred thousand followers. That that's really how and that honestly that's how you make a successful art career outside of social media too is you just you find the people that are willing to work with you and willing to listen to you and you give them give them the show that they want yeah this is awesome i mean it's if it's helpful for no one else it's definitely helpful for me so <laughs> i appreciate it now we have to talk about another part of this equation of again is that it's your playing is a big selling point right <laughs> like if you didn't play the way you played um, I think that not that it wouldn't have the same draw. It's just like, I think that that's what drew me in. I guess if we want to put mm -hmm. it that way, hearing you play was like, maybe, you know, Instagram showed me one of your videos and I was like, huh, this sounds great. And then I kept like seeing other ones and I was like, eventually I was like, all right, I'm gonna follow this. It's like, this sounds <laughs> great. Right. So we got to talk about this. We got to talk. And mm -hmm. I think that one of the most interesting ways to talk about it would be to say, what is important to you now? When you're mm -hmm. practicing, when you're presenting music, what's important to you now? And what was important to you like 10 years ago or what, you know, does that question make sense? Like, absolutely. What, what are you doing now? What were you doing then? What's the difference? Do you feel like you're glad you did what you did 10 years ago? Or do you wish you were doing 10 years ago what you're doing now? Just this sort of like reflection thing. Because I think just to frame it a little bit more, I get asked sometimes... I'm, I'm talking about all, I don't know how if you follow any of my stuff, but I talk about this mm -hmm. gold method thing that I mm -hmm. made up to help practice organization and make better choices and all that skill development, right? 
But I still get asked, like, well, what did you do when you were a freshman? Or what did you do when you were a senior? And in my mind, I'm like, who cares what I yeah, did yeah. when I was a senior? <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> right. It's like, we, we should be talking about the thing that now I wish I would have been doing. But I think it's still, you know, interesting, you know, valuable work that I did. I mean, maybe I could have done it differently. Um, so it's from that framework of, again, what are you doing now? What were you doing then? And maybe just some reflection. Right. So uh, I'm going to do what I was doing then first. So sure. what I did back in the day that the two things that I'm, I, they did pay off later that I did, maybe they didn't know too much. Number one was I just loved listening to music. I listened to every piece by every composer I could find. I found the horn parts. I, I tried to read them. I mean, this is from like seventh grade. I, I remember one of my first lessons with my teacher. She asked me like, oh, what kind of music do you like? And I said, the Bride of Spring because it was on <laughs> Disney Fantasia. And I loved the that kind of excerpt from the horn. And I wanted to learn how to play the high A so that I could do the because I could do the first part. I couldn't do the second part. And that was just like just a very curiosity about classical music. And I don't know where it came from. I have no idea. I think a band director just showed me sheet music and it's like, can I find more of this? And he's like, yeah, here's this new website called imslp.org. Have fun. It was it was new at the time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So. I just went for it. And I, I that that stayed true to this day. Like, I love listening to new music. I love listening to new symphonies. I love learning new horn parts, all those sorts of things. Um, and the second thing I did is I loved being able to play technical stuff. I just, I wanted my notes to be higher, faster, louder. And I, I know that's like such a meme in, in such a joke in brass world that like, oh, people just want to play. But I really did. And like, I was like, can I do my scales at 120 at 16th notes? Yes. Can I do it at 130? No. All right. I got to get to 130. I got to get to 140. All those sorts of things. You know, my highest note is a high C. Great. I got to get C sharp next week. I got to get high D. I got to go this way up and down too. You know, I, down, it took me a little bit later in my life to get down to the low notes, but I did <laughs> did get there eventually. And that that kind of like obsessive with like, sort of quantifying my ability and knowing what I could do and then trying to push that boundary. That was something I did from really young age and really did all the way through college. Like I I wanted to be the most capable player possible. That was what I took pride in. However, <laughs> I neglected one very important part of making music, which I'm paying for now, which is that you have to have something to say. Uh, and there needs to be a musical message behind everything, every single thing. I get every audition I go to, every lesson I have, every comment, I am still getting comments that are like, this was, sometimes they'll say this was flawless, this was perfect, but it didn't speak to me, it didn't mean anything. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. That's what I'm still trying to practice all the time. So a lot of times these days, my practice is not, it's not very you know, it's not very like uh, fundamental. Well, I do my fundamentals every day, of course, but it's not like the goal is not to like fix my fundamentals and to lay like a, to solve these big problems in my horn playing. Um, because fr like, frankly, I did a lot of that work already. I've gotten those fundamentals to where I, I'm really happy with them. And I also know that when they start lacking, I have the resources and the tools to pick them back up. And I know I, I even like sometimes know how long it will take. Like if I'm having a bad low horn playing day and I know I've got a concert where I have to play fourth horn in a week, I know to start like three weeks early and being like, okay, I got to do these exercises and just make sure that I can play low. But mostly my practice now is just about playing things and reminding myself 
and recording myself has helped a lot. Um, just reminding myself to have a musical message, to have a phrase, to say something, the sort of, um, the semantics of playing music, the, the rhetoric of playing music is the part that I should have started earlier. Um, but luckily, uh, this, that, I mean, even though I wish I had done that earlier, it's good that I have that fundamental base because I don't have to worry about that part of it. I can use those fundamental skills that I have to create music. I just think it would have been easier if I had started from there and then built the fundamentals. That's a really interesting statement you just made there. Cause I have this theory that building your fundamentals first is, well, I don't like if you had to separate them, right? Like I don't, I'm not mm -hmm. convinced that you have to, but I think there is some value in the idea of separating them. Uh, and then the hypothetical situation of building your fundamentals, building your understanding of how your instrument works so you can solve problems and develop consistency. In my mind, it makes sense that then when you started asking questions about musicality, you would have a bed of consistency with which you can ask those questions. I, in my mind, making you more successful because even if you're not playing as musically as you want, you're generally... Um, ingraining or continuing good habits that you've already developed as opposed to the other side, which is what I feel like I I experienced, which is, you know, I had teachers that were really impressing upon me the importance of playing musically and saying something. And, he, you know, I remember a lesson where my teacher said to me, I played like the opening of the Honiger and Trotta, if I'm not wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and I played it and he's like, you just played the trumpet really well, but he's like, I'm not going to let you walk out of here without being able to say something, right? Similar concept. So, so I think to some degree, I was so concerned with saying something that I was more just like, I'm just going to play through it and not really, I, I don't know if I like learned this sort of deep level of like understanding. So, so much of my work now is where this whole method came from of like how I structure things so I can constantly be learning sort of how to develop consistency. So that's fascinating to me that you have almost the opposite experience and that you believe in the opposite thing that I think based on what your experience is. Yeah, I mean, di different things work for different people. Uh, what I found in my playing though is that that kind of like, I don't know how to put it, but like that, that flow state you get into where things are just working um, and it's almost like an out of body experience, you're playing music. That to me comes from just being wholly in the music and just feeling everything the music wants to tell you to the point where your body almost just plays for you. You know, if, if, if I mean, yeah, your fundamentals need to be there. You need to be able to do it. But I've even seen young players, like when you can get them out of their brains and get them not thinking about the embouchure and not thinking about the fingerings. And they're just thinking about just the excitement of whatever the passages or the emotion of the passage. Sometimes it just solves itself. And like, for example, a really, uh, an example that I always find with my young students is, uh, God, I get, I get 25,000 comments every day. that are like, how do you play high notes? How do you play high notes? How do you play high notes? And the, the true answer to how you play high notes is you need to practice every day and then you need to just let it go. You just need to be able to let your body go and just avoid thinking about how high the notes are. And it's such a hard thing to teach because if you, if you're, because there's so much physical stuff to playing high notes. But the truth is, you're actually already playing. If you can play the note an octave lower, you just got to do everything twice as much and it'll play the octave higher, right? I mean, that's, you blow air twice as fast, you keep everything tension twice as much. But your body actually knows how to do that already. If you can sing and then you can sing an octave higher, 
your body, you don't think about chain tightening your vocal cords. You don't think about doing that. Um, and so that's sort of what I think about with the musical stuff. I think that if you have a really great musical message and you're, you know, like how loud you want to play, uh, you know, how intense an articulation needs to be. And you have that really clear in your mind, your body will figure out how to do it. What the fundamentals practice really does is it makes those consistent, it makes them controllable, um, and then it makes them editable if someone asks you to do something different, right? It, it's like you have those skills to say, that's how I thought the message was supposed to go. Uh, but if someone asked me to do it differently, I have the skill set to do that. And I think that's kind of the way that I think about it. Um, and it's it's a hard thing to do because I always find it with with wind players. It's incredibly difficult to do it that way because we start with in beginner band with concert F, you know, it's four on the floor, like, you know, four, four on, four off scales are really basic. And it's, it's just like, uh, I don't want to get on this soapbox too much, but it's so boring. It's so boring for, especially for little kids. But what do violin players and like, and, and viol and string players and pianists start with? They start with music. They start with songs. You know, the Suzuki method is all about performing. It's all about, I mean, the, even the first level of Suzuki, Suzuki book, book, like the first piece you have to play is you just walk out on stage and you bow and then you leave. Like, cause it's the act of performing <laughs> yeah, that they're yeah, learning. Yeah. Like, it's not even about the music. It's about the act of, of getting out and performing and having a message and having all that stuff. So I, that's kind of what I mean by like, I wish the, the musicality and the sort of like speaking came first, because if I had felt that sort of passion about it, I think actually a lot of the time, I, maybe I wouldn't have needed to spend so much time on those fundamentals. I get you. No, that because makes... maybe I would have realized what I was do. I was doing it already. Yeah. Well, and I think too, it could have like try. You know, running with this example, it might have even made it just more efficient, right? Like the things yeah. that weren't working, you would have been like, okay, like I recognize. I can't just sort of hear my way into this, but now I have a specific thing to sort of explore and work on to sort of put that piece back in there. That makes a lot of sense too. I'm going to share a small bit of my own experience. Sure. And I'm curious what your thoughts are because this is fascinating to me. Um, one of the things I remember a few years ago, I was auditioning for, I don't remember, I think it was Chicago principal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and one of the things I was struggling with at the time is I would, let's say a C sharp, it's one and two, right? I was, I would try to play a, a or an A and I would hit a C sharp first and then quickly come in, quickly hit an A, mm -hmm. right? So it would be like, I would just nick the, the partial yeah. above it, right? And I just couldn't figure out what was going on, right? I just couldn't figure it out. And to some degree, because I couldn't figure it out, I just started to like accept that that was part of the presentation of the excerpt, right? So, or maybe I would slightly undershoot it. And so there would be this little blip. It wouldn't be like a, like that note just starts, right? Mm -hmm. And that was like, you know, three or four years ago or something like that, I can't remember. And so over the pandemic... I listened to these Hokan Hardenberger Charlier recordings that had come mm. out. And Love I just those. admired his production so much because he would just take a breath and then it was like, he, there, he knows that that note's going to be there. There's no question. So I started exploring what that could be like. And I feel that I've developed a lot more of that confidence and consistency in my articulation, right? So I don't, I don't have that problem anymore at all. But the thing is, is I actually... Now, and in, in, like for a long time, I had to think very hard about what I was doing when I was sort of breathing, not necessarily from a technical perspective, but just focusing on the things that would re result in success, right, of articulation. Mm -hmm. 
But now, like a year and a half later, I find myself not having to think about that as much. So I'm able to sort of give myself over to the music a little bit more, which is very interesting to me because I'm finding I can give myself over to the music and start asking those questions. But like with, you know, still like success in terms of production where I'm not having these little tiny inconsistencies that I basically don't have to accept anymore. So obviously there's a balance in there. But that's another sort of framework for my belief that sort of being able to separate the technical aspects of producing sound and developing some relationship with what a success looks like, look like, I think is pretty, in my opinion, paramount for making it more mm -hmm. habitual. So I'm just curious for your thoughts on that experience or what that makes you think of and just sort of exploring this. Yeah, I, I mean, what, what also strikes me about that and something I think about a lot is once you hear somebody else do it right, it's so much easier for some yeah. reason to do it correctly. I think about that all the time. I mean, half of my lessons, uh, I took a couple lessons with Dave Cooper when I was at SMU and his teaching style at the time, it might still be this way, is that he would just play it for you. He would just, you would play it, he would play it, you would play it, it'd be better. And you're like, all right, because you just heard him do it. And it, you could just internalize what it, it, it sounded like. And then you just kind of tried to make it sound like that. Uh, and it worked. And it was it was a way to make it work because he just his playing was in such a way that he didn't think about anything too much. And it was just you just had to kind of get that sound. Um, and so that's the first thing I think about it. And, and the other part about it is, true. I completely agree that the sort of the point of fundamentals is to make things reliable and consistent like that is that's what you want. Um, that is a, that is a huge pillar of like the orchestral musician is that we want things to be the same every time, or at least we want to be able to make things the same every single time, uh, if we want to. And that's that's to me that's what those fundamental practices for. That's why, you know, when you that's why we do routines. We do warm up routines, and we make sure that they're they're not the same every day, but they're same for at least a long period of time where we can get into a routine before we need to change things. And that's. That's sort of, to me, what those goal of fundamentals are. But I, I still I still would think that good fundamentals don't make good music. Um, Agreed. They, 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 make the, they make the possibility of good music there, uh, but they don't, they don't make the good music. And in fact, I actually think, really, if you, like, it, this, is, this might be controversial, but um, you don't actually need, a, like, the level that you need to, do, to be at to, to be a musician, orchestral musician, um, Obviously, there are many great orchestral musicians, but you don't necessarily need to be as good as them <laughs> to do the job, right? That level of amazing technical thing, you don't you don't even need it to win an audition. What you need is you need to be consistent and reliable, and then you need to have something special on that one day <laughs> that the audition happens yeah. <laughs> to be able to do it. But you don't need to be able to have this amazing technique and you can do all this stuff because they're never going to test it. It's never going to show up. But all of that stuff is there to increase the chances that you are able to achieve something that is special, uh, that is that is reliable, and that sounds good on the one day that you need it. Yeah, no, this is a good point, and I, to me, I would, I would continue it by saying, and I think this to me this is very important. And we don't talk about this enough, is that we are. It's not like a race to, I mean, in some of our minds, and you can see this is that it would be a race to get there, quote, as soon as possible, right? We mm -hmm. want to be employed, right? Yeah. But the idea of our development as instrumentalists and as musicians, I think sometimes we don't realize that we're looking at a 20, a 30-year scope, mm -hmm. right? 
And so if we stretch that out, how old are you? I'm I'm 27. <laughs> You're 27. Yeah, I'm 30. Yeah. I think I'm 33. I don't even know. <laughs> well, um, I haven't checked in a while. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when I was 21 and now that I'm 30, there's things that I'm doing that are much better and much more consistent. But it's like, obviously, I've had to work out the issues that I've worked out now because it's there. But, you know, let's say that I'm... I'm not. I, I'm not really going to check in with myself to say, "Have I reached my goal?" Until I'm like 52, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, how did I do? And I think when we think that way, it's like, all right, maybe I have certain things that aren't developed, but I don't have to necessarily feel bad about it. I'm just in this part of my development now. And I think, and I'd be curious for your thoughts on this. It becomes easy to say, "Well, I wish I would have been more musical sooner," because things could have been easier, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? Yeah. And it can lead to feelings of, I don't want to say judgment, but it could lead to feelings of like, I'm never going to be where I wanted to be because I didn't know this sooner rather than I'm just at this point of my development, right? So I'm curious, like how you accept where you are in your development and just say, all right, I got to work on these things now because this is where I'm at. If I would have known it sooner, that's cool, but I didn't. Like, how do you balance this and keep, like, a, a perspective that's healthy? Yeah. I mean, this is, a, this is a huge topic, especially recently, right? I think a lot of people are, are trying to think about how they can enjoy their career and they can enjoy the process and that, that creating music. No one wants creating music to be stressful or, or even harmful to their mental health. And, and I think a lot of people are working so hard to try and make sure that, and there's so many resources out there to help people make sure that making music is still healthy. Um, and so the, one of the ways that I think about it is, um, it's one of the fundamental ideas of making music, which is that music is about expressing yourself. That is why we do it. It is about playing with other people in the orchestra. Um, and it is about that sort of this idea of uh, that we're talking about of self you know, self betterment making yourself better self improvement this long journey of creating a better you um, those are the things that I think really music are about fundamentally um, expression community and and self improvement and so as long as I'm checking in with myself that I'm doing some of those things while I'm playing. I, I, it's so, it's so much easier to be grateful for what is going on and so much easier to enjoy it. When we did Brahms one just uh, last week, I mean, that, that performance was really one of the most special performances of my career so far. Um, and yeah, I got to play the big solos, but also I got to play them with my friends who were sitting next to me, who also sounded amazing. And through that whole week, you were just sitting there like, oh my God, Eli sounds great. Oh my God, Spencer and Thea sound amazing. Everyone sounds so good. We're making this thing happen, you know? And so that's kind of what I try to check in with myself and be like, if I'm enjoying that part of it, those part of it, then like, you know, playing playing my scales every day isn't really that hard. <laughs> it's sure, like, it's sure. okay, you know? <laughs> and so that, that's like what I try to try to think about. And of course, you know, like uh, the things that I need to work on all the time, you know, like uh, sometimes I get a double buzz and I play soft in my high register. And like, it's really frustrating, of course, to have to deal with that because you're like, oh God, what if this happens in the audition? Like, blah, blah, blah. And like, you get in your head about it. And then you just put the horn down and you 
read a book or you play a video game and you don't think about it for a week and then a week later it doesn't happen and you're like, oh, the problem solved. It's like, no, the problem didn't solve itself. You just didn't think about it. And then you forgot that it was going to happen, you know, that kind of stuff. So sometimes with my problems and my playing, like I've got plenty of them. My low G is out of tune. My I have this double buzz in the high register. Uh, You know, sometimes I miss the first note (laughs) and then I'm fine after that. Um, Or, you know, like I just have to know that I've done the work, I've done a lot of work, and I have to trust that I've done a lot of work and let, like, if it gets really frustrating, I have to be able to put the horn down and say, you know what, I've done a lot of work, probably going to be fine if I just wait. And that's, I mean, that's that's obviously something that you can do when you've been practicing for a long time, when you're new to the instrument and you're new to, and you do need to do that fundamental work for the first time. I, I remember it being incredibly frustrating. Um, but that sort of idea of just like being able to put the instrument away and say like this is a this is a long-term process or remembering it's a long-term process um for example people all the time write me how do you do a lip trill on your horn and it's like yeah you do this exercise for four months and they're like what (laughs) four months really it's like yeah no it's it takes four months and you just have to you just have to decide and know from the very beginning that it's going to take four months and then after you do it for four months then like do this for four months and then check in with me because anytime before that it's like yeah of course it's not working you didn't do it for four months yet uh and sometimes yeah you're right that scale of of practice is is lost as we really strive to to um to get things fixed now yeah gosh what a great i mean there's a lot packed in there one of the things i've been reading this book called mindset by carol Mm -hmm. dweck one of my favorite books. Yeah, I, I mean, it's really, there are things I've been thinking about a lot. You know, I just didn't know that they already had words, you know? <laughs> um, and it's like to, to recognize how much of a fixed mindset I've lived my life in terms of needing to prove my abilities to myself mm-hmm. over and over and over again, rather than just being like, well, I can't do that. I think now I have the tools available to say, if I can't do something... I'll apply this process, I'll trust the process, I'll explore it, and I'll learn how to do it. But when I was younger, and my singular goal was winning a job in an orchestra, I just needed to constantly prove to myself that that goal was going to be able to happen. And so I couldn't really trust or dive into a process and be like, this is okay that this sounds bad right now. I mean, I, I don't actually even believe that anymore. But the idea is it's basically, it's okay if this isn't a finished product right now. Mm-hmm. I'm working towards that. I, it was hard for me to to not want to say like, okay, it's okay that it's not a finished product, but I'm just going to practice like X amount of ridiculous hours per day to learn it as fast as I possibly can. I was in such a hurry mm-hmm. to get better, right? Here's another great story about this. There's a book called uh, Low Etudes for Trumpet by Phil Snedekor. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful book. I was introduced to it at my time at Northwestern with Barbara Butler. And Barbara, she said, I want you to play this first page, which is about, I think it's like five drills to go down into the low register and work on low Fs for the trumpet. And then she's like, I just want you to play play like one of these low etudes per day. And then that's it. And I was like, well, I could do that. But if I just played those etudes and then the entire book, wouldn't I just like get <laughs> better be at low play? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, I really, really struggled with that concept that you just described that like, it takes like, no matter how hard I work, it will still take time. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't just like, 
rush my way into l- true deep skill development you know like that was really hard for me kind of, so i really resonated with what you what you just said i don't know if you have any sort of thoughts to continue that no yeah i mean the carol dweck book i read that my um my sophomore year of college in the class taught by dr ann battenberg at the uh educational psychology and that was a huge like that that book really did do a lot to change my psyche about how I understood what I was doing and why I was doing music. And also just to be able to have this mindset of, of sitting back and letting things change around you. I mean, a lot of great things started happening in my life after I did that. You know, that was when I, I got into NRO at like 19. Um, I got into all these festivals and stuff. I was winning competitions. And it, yes, I was practicing a lot and I was doing a lot of big things, but the the root of that stopped being stopped you know not stopped altogether but stopped in a big way of being I need to win to I I need to I these are just stepping stones on my career and if they'll work out if they do and they won't if they won't and if I do win I get to do something really cool and if I don't win I get to keep practicing and that's kind of the next you know next thing and and it's it's certainly helped a lot with um I'm you know years later when I'm deep in the audition circuit, taking these auditions and, and, um, some of them go really well and some of them don't go really well. And you're just on, you're just on the train. You just keep, you know, it's, it's that idea. It's this kind of idea that you have to trust that it will work out one day. Everything will work out one day. Um, and you're just not in control of exactly when it will work out. Uh, but if you trust that it will work out and you keep doing the work, and you keep showing up and you keep enjoying music for good reasons and you keep finding people to make music for make music with then uh, you you just kind of like let that you let all the 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 uh the pressure go <laughs> and then you just show up show up to work every day and get it done yeah and i think that's that's kind of that's just what i think about it and i will also say this is something that social media for all of the the uncomfortable, you know, the, the discomfort that people have with social media, and I completely understand it. Um, not really a big fan of Meta myself, but uh, <laughs> the idea that this is what it's really good at—it is so good at getting people into this mindset of, or at least it has the potential to right. get people in this mindset of growth, because there are so many people sharing their practice, sharing their work, sharing their progress, and now you can see—we can see that progress happening. There are, there are musicians, like, I mean, I, I fully believe there are professional musicians 10 years in the future, 15 years in the future, people who are going to win major orchestral jobs who have a journal of their practice on the internet for everyone to see. That is going to be amazing in 20, you know, 2065 when, when they're doing these podcasts and they're teaching kids at Northwestern University or whatever, and they say, hey, what did you do? And they're like, it's actually documented right. all on the internet. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be amazing. Uh, but we have to let them get there. <laughs> so we have sure, to, sure. you know, that's going to be what's, what's really fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I've tried to embrace this, you know, within the, within the parameters that, you know, I am comfortable doing it's. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Everyone should you don't like, you don't, this is not a mandatory thing, by the way. Oh, like, of course. Of do, course. Yeah. You know, but for, for me, like I've, I've been recording these B shade on my, uh, mm-hmm. on my YouTube channel and, um, at first it started out, I think I've told the story a few times. At first it started out, I'm just going to record them. And then like, I'm going to like touch up a few of the things that maybe didn't go well here and there. 
But then, but like I sort of like trying to present it like it was an unedited recording. So we quickly ran into like ethical dilemmas of like, <laughs> what am I doing right now? And People, so it, yeah. it's it's evolved into like it's now a challenge for me. First take, you know, one take, first take, right? Like do it all in one take. And now the first take that I do, and if I don't get it one day, I'll just try again the next day. Because I, I stole this from speed. I watch a lot of speed running, video game speed running. Oh, yeah, I love speed. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And one thing I love that they do is like, they'll just like try and then the next day they try again and then they just try again. Like, it's just mm-hmm. like infinite tries and then sometimes maybe they'll hit a world record, right? Yeah. Or whatever. And, and, then, not- and then they immediately restart over after they get yeah. the world record. Yeah, and I don't <laughs> see them having this, like, I have to get this one perfect run. I see them saying, I will make as many attempts as it take. And then if I hit the jackpot, great. I have a record of it, right? Because we record it. So I tried to take that that idea, but it's really helped me then ask, you know, peak performance type questions. Like, how do I do this and make it work to the level that I want? But there's a definite progression. I remember how hard it was to record some of those etudes early on. And then now I can sort of just play through them. And so it's the same thing you're talking about. It's cool for me personally to have this record of seeing the progress. And when you see the progress you've made, then you realize, oh, what if I just kept doing that? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm assuming I'll just keep making progress. So I think you're spot on. Um, One thing then that I think is worth discussing along the same route is certainly just the struggles then that right is Mm -hmm. we're gonna we're gonna come up across these struggles and for some people who are recording it and presenting it that's cool but many of us who struggled before social media (laughs) was really a thing it's hidden and so maybe it's good for you if you want to sort of share about various struggles you may have had in your career or in your playing or anything like that so that we can kind of see um because i'm not gonna lie It seems like things have been, you just practiced a whole bunch when you were a kid, you had great teaching, and then now you're killing it. You know what I'm saying? It can have that perception. So I'm curious if, I'm assuming that's not the whole story. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, right, that's, that's like the, the line of best fit, the like estimated version of all the dips and and valleys and lows, you know. Um, I, yeah, my thing, you know, I, I think what I had to figure out one of the things I really struggled with was um, it's not like la- it's not laziness is not the wrong is it the wrong word but it's the sort of idea of focus. Um, I really struggled with that this idea that we're talking about of committing to things for a long time. I actually it took me a long time to, to get ready to do that because I was so used to solving problems quickly and learning things quickly. And I'm a very fast learner. Um, and I always want to move on to the next task. I want to learn a new hobby. I want to do that. Like I'm very like, like that kind of way about it. And so re- getting myself to slow down has been a constant, constant struggle in my career of, of even, you know, even with the, the social media stuff, like being able to like say like you should take a break you should stop doing this or you should stop posting and find a, a, an easier way to do it and you should experiment you should you should take the time to not feel like you have to get something out there all the time and you should maybe sit back and think if there's a better way or like those sorts of questions are really where a lot of the dips in my struggles have come from so yeah, do you have like you need to slow down you need to focus you need to learn one piece really thoroughly instead of 10 pieces that you can basically play with no problem. You know, it's like, I, there's so many, 
there's so many pieces that I know <laughs> that I would say I know them, but like I don't I have not learned them as deeply as I should have. Um and and that's like and it's because of that idea of focus of like I didn't I in college I didn't want to be the person who was stuck on a coprosh etude or a cling etude for for Greg Custis. I wanted to play four etudes in a lesson, get them all knocked out and go on to the next book and that's cuz that's how we taught. You just you needed to get through all 60 coprosh etudes and whether you played one in a lesson or five in a lesson, he didn't care. You just needed to get through all 60 of them. And I was like, well, I'm going to do it faster than every, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, but it was like, actually, if you would, if you maybe had slowed down and learned Coprush one so thoroughly and so focused, your articulation would have been, you wouldn't even needed the other 59. You would have just gotten out of that one. Same with, you know, like I, I think I struggled with, um, playing live like solos for a while I would get really tired really quickly um I would miss a lot of notes in public and like it was still like exciting and fun but it was kind of like if I could just if I had just focused <laughs> on the the thing and had kind of blocked out all the other stuff that I needed to do you know when I was in college I did I was an RA and I was in the music ed degree and I was also getting a minor in mathematics and I was also doing all this stuff and I was trying to take gigs and I was taking auditions and it's like actually in some ways those were very good things to do but if I had said mm, maybe I don't need to do those things I could have really given myself the time to focus that I did end up getting when I joined New World it was like until I was at New World <laughs> That was when I finally had the time to be like, no, I'm I'm doing it. And in some ways, even in the pandemic, too, like I finally have the time to figure it out and to learn things deeply and to learn things thoroughly. And and I think that's where my biggest struggle as a musician has come from, because I have so many things I want to do. Um, but it is OK to do one thing at a time. <laughs> yeah, it was such a great thing to talk about, you know, because. We often think about struggles. I've heard people talk about embouchure changes, or I've heard mm -hmm. them talk about failed auditions, or they talk about, you know, like for me, I've talked about not getting tenure with the Indianapolis Symphony. And, um, but this one is, it can be really like subversively, like underneath everything, this mm -hmm. idea that, like, you know, the need to do deep work is for anyone who wants to be able to do something at a high level in any field. And, you know, we live in a world of distraction, right? Especially mm -hmm. through things like social media. So um, understanding how to, how to kind of, like you said, block all that stuff out, focus on the thing that you're doing um, is, is of paramount. You know, I think it's uh, ridiculously important. How, I mean, other than just willpower, are there other ways that you are are kind of really focusing on? Do you have you set up structures that help you do this? Do you have like lists you're making? Like, how have you sort of made some steps in this direction? Absolutely. Um, scheduling. Schedule everything. Schedule it down to the minute. Um, and 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 believe in it. Use timers. Uh, if you set a 20-minute practice session, set a timer for 20 minutes and do not stop until that timer goes off. But the catch is stop when it does. Uh, those sorts of things. Um, keep a calendar. It doesn't have to be so detailed that you're writing down like on some people get really into practice journals and they're like, okay, on Monday, I'm going to, you know, practice at quarter note equals 72.665, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like, you don't need to do that. But you could just say like, Monday, uh, you know, um, Brandenburg one, Mozart 40. And once you practice those, stop, stop doing what you're doing and give yourself the time to get those right. 
and don't then say like, well, I've got the room for another 20 minutes. I should no, just stop, you know, uh, with the social media stuff, uh, at the beginning every Sunday I sit down and I, I write out what I'm going to record. Um, and you know, give, giving myself like a flex day in case there's some weird new trend I have to hop on, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, it, it happens. Um, uh, but you know, it's like just at the, every Sunday, just write down what you're going to do for the week. Um, and it's, it's just, I think the real trick is people, again, I said, I referenced it just a second ago, but people are so good at planning what they're going to do. They're much worse at stopping once they've done it. Um, and that's the trick. I think that's really the trick to having good and successful practice is being able to say like, I have accomplished my goal for the day and now I need to put the horn away. There is no other work to do. Um, cause otherwise you just pile stuff on and that's when you get to that that brain that's scattered because you're just like okay well i'll pull out an etude and i'll do that i'll pull out a sonata and i'll do that i'll put it's like no you stop stop <laughs> you did the work you focused give yourself a reward and leave yeah i mean i couldn't this is like what all of my platform is about you know i couldn't agree more i think one of the struggles with that is like you said a goal setting just being mm -hmm. able to say like okay like i've what I like about what you described is that you decided ahead of time. So you're thinking like, okay, these are the things I got to work on. What am I going to work on today? So that you have to think about that less in the practice session. Um, I, I mean, I go, I go crazy with this. I am one of those people who has like spreadsheets and stuff that determine and that, like, that, that's, what if tempo. that works for you. That works. That's well, and it's like, yeah. I stole it from working out, you know, I stole it from the gym mm, where you have like yeah, specific yeah, yeah. weights and sets and reps. And like, I just don't have to think at all. That's where I, I stole it from. But the the principles remain if you don't I, I completely agree like if that's not you the principles of being goal oriented and setting you know those still matter but i think the other part too is and i'll be curious i mean obviously that's why i'm talking to you i guess i don't have to say i'm curious for your thoughts every time <laughs> but one of the things i think that's in the back of everybody's mind is it can be summed up in this saying for every hour you're not practicing somebody else is right this idea that even if you like if you want to stop here well, somebody else wouldn't have stopped. And that person no. will be successful because they didn't stop. Please refute yeah. that. That is that is exactly what classical music needs to get rid of. All music, really. The, that's that's the unhealthy competitive part of it. The idea that like those hours that someone's putting in. That's that's like Texas All-State Band levels of like competition where it's like I've, it's a practice competition. It's not a practice competition. And, and you know, some people are, are right that like, yes, some people are going to practice a lot more than you and they're going to but they're also going to have different goals than you. And also they might not be practicing that well either. So like, you know, and that in brass players even too, that's how injuries happen is people overplaying and overexerting themselves. So my thing is that the first issue with that is that it's the mindset problem that like someone's working harder than you and you need to kick it into high gear. There are there are probably people out there who do need that message to say like, hey, you actually might not be taking this seriously enough. And the bar to become a professional working musician is pretty high and you need to meet that bar. But there's much more people who back to one of the first things I said, who it's like you need to do this work for a long time, but you need to find out why you're doing it. And that's the much more important part. You need to have something to say. You need to have a message. You need to really develop as an artist. Uh, and playing scales isn't going to help you do that. So don't worry about the time in the practice room. Read a book or something. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. learn something else about the world. Um, and so that's 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 the kind of competition where I think that's that's where people miss kind of get a little bit misguided. Um 
Now, I mean, there are there's times for that, too. I mean, like if you're in the middle of a big audition, like obviously you need to maybe work a little bit harder than you've worked before. But you also need to give yourself periods of rest and exploration and learning. Um, like if you're in if you're an undergrad, um, there's almost nothing that you need to practice that hard for like from school right like it's all you're all just learning the fundamentals of music you're learning the basics and so like i don't know what practicing six or seven hours a day is going to do to you um especially if the guy next to you is doing that like that might not actually work that well for you um you've got classes and stuff to go to you've got all these (laughs) other things to do you know like like give yourself the time it's okay um, but yeah, the idea that somebody else is practicing more than you, it's like, don't worry about it. Just try not to worry about it. Well, and I sort of have two thoughts. One being that the other component is certainly your brain, like your mental yeah. focus can't, it just can't. There's, I think there's studies been done that you just can't sustain it for, you know, ridiculous amounts of hours. And then to me, the other part, um, it's just, yeah, the quality of the work and, and, just beginning to change the conversation from this is how many hours I practiced, you know, mm-hmm. like keeping a journal and just saying, well, I practiced this much, so that means something. <laughs> Two, this is what I did in my practice sessions. This is what I tried to do to drive as much learning as I could at this stage that I'm at. And this is the quality, I think, and, you know, how much I achieved my goal and things like that. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. trying to quantify how well we worked. You obviously playing at the level that you do, and um, especially with the goal of musicianship, which can be somewhat abstract, how do you determine uh, successful practice sessions? You know, because you you need that at the level that you're at to continue seeing growth. But again, with such an abstract goal to follow, what does that mean for you? Uh, so the first thing is that because I'm recording myself so much more now, um, I have... I can, I, I, because that goal is so abstract, I don't have to assess it in the moment. Um, I can, I can record myself. I can listen back to the takes later and I can think like, was this really musical? Like, you know, maybe, maybe this is fine to share on Instagram. Like it's a good, I got what I needed out of it. But then I'm thinking in the back of my mind, like, could this have been more musical? Could this have been a little bit, could I really do what that said? Um, the second thing is that I still take lessons. Obviously I'm still, I, get lessons from people all the time, some through New World, some privately, and I get their feedback and I take it. Um, I send my recordings to people um, and I let them listen to it and I see like, what, how do you think these are going? What should I be changing in the future? Um, and then, of course, my friends are a big, for something as as unquantifiable as this, the opinion of other people uh, is very important. So I play for others all the time. And I'm very lucky. This is another thing that that I'm very lucky that at New World, I have 87 friends who will listen to me play whenever I want, you know, and we have even structured, we have structured mock auditions and structured time for people to play for each other and get anonymous comments and things like that. And even with those, it's not about like calling up my friend, you know, my, my the other horn players in the orchestra and saying like, is this musical or is this not musical? It's getting their feedback and being able to just notice trends over time. Are they saying my playing is solid? If, if, if every single week they say, that was solid, that was good. What that triggers in my brain is like, I didn't make an impression on them. They heard me play for four weeks and they didn't say something was like special or great. Right. It's like, okay, so that means I need to push, I maybe need to push in that direction further. Um, and so like even that's even how you can get stuff out of positive feedback too you know like it's trends over long periods of time it's getting feedback and 
not reacting to it in the moment, but analyzing it and thinking about it much later. Um, that really makes that makes those unquantifiable goals like musicianship really special. Um, but I also do it through the feedback through my Instagram and my and my Facebook page. You know, like if I um, again, it's just noticing trends. Um, people are generally very positive about my my comments, but I do notice when people are especially like sharing it on their own pages or they're they're um, they're sending it to other people or I'm meeting new people I'm meeting new audiences I'm finding people on new instruments like I see those things and I think like this is this is something really special I think that I made um, and I should I should I need to remember how I did that I need to capture it and remember it for later um, yeah that's that's kind of that's at least for non-quantifiable stuff that's how I I, uh, I think about it yeah I think it's I mean, it's amazing to see that process you just described as so much data, right? Like you're almost yeah. like noticing trends. This is how we do. This is how we make decisions on anything. Um, but this is I, why you take statistics in high school, kids? Yeah, like, this is really this is I what think it's that's, for. <laughs> that's incredible to see because you know, and the structures that I've put together for for practicing is the same thing. You know, it's like I, I, I my fundamental blocks are are in a month. I do the same thing for a month, basically. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I try to reserve judgment on how things have gone and have I reached my goal month to month. I don't judge that in the day. You know, I'm just each day trying to put quality work into it. But it allows me to have like, like you said, sort of a an aggregate look at where did mm-hmm. I start, where did I end, how did it feel, and I have some actual data to make new decisions about how I want to move forward from there. And it makes practicing not only. I, I can observe the progress, which is great, but it actually makes it so much more engaging, right? Because it becomes almost this big experiment to see in general, can I move forward in the direction I want to go using everything around me? And the other thing I liked about what you described is virtually anyone can do the process that you just described, make a recording and send it to somebody and just do mm-hmm. it with enough regularity. You can start to track trends. Yeah, even for um, when I was preparing for the Fort Worth Symphony Principal Audition. Um, I had a drive folder that had every single excerpt on the audition labeled to the date that I had recorded it. And I would just send people the link all the time. And I would just say, hey, you know, could you listen to Beethoven, the Beethoven seven takes and let me know what you think. Or could you listen to the Mozart? Mostly it was the solo. I'm always, I always want feedback on the solo because it's such a big part of the the audition. and it was just some, it was a literally, it was as easy as sending a link that I, and I had it, the database, I kept it there and, and, you know, people would give me some feedback. Some people wouldn't respond. Some people did respond a lot. Some people gave me almost too much feedback. And I was like, wait, I, I didn't like, do I need to pay you now? Like what's going on? Like, you know, I'm, I, this is just a link. It's if you have free time, you know, friends, your colleagues, everyone that's doing it. Um, so yeah, I, I think having something like that where you can just receive feedback and receive it very neutrally, receive it very, you know, it's just data. It's just people. And it's not even about what one person says. It's about what many people say over time. If one person tells you you're sharp on some note, cool. If seven people tell you you're sharp, you're sharp. If, you know, and then you get, you know, you get comments like, oh, that rushed a little bit. Oh, I actually thought it was too slow. And then you're like, okay, it was fine. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah, right, <laughs> like, right. That's great. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's yeah, things, yeah. You know. No, but that's again, a like, good point. Yeah. It makes me want to like record a round and then just put like put the link, right? Mm-hmm. And then make a Google form and just put it on social media, you know, and just be <laughs> good like, l- yeah, good, good luck with that. That that may be a little bit too, yeah. Uh, just to see what happens. Have to filter through those. 
Yeah, just uh, to see what happens. Yeah. Um, man, Scott, this has been great. I, I, I am, I'm, I've, I feel like I've learned a, learned a lot, actually. You know, I mean, I love <laughs> these types of conversations, especially with people I just don't know at all. Uh, I, I hope it's been uh, fun for you, but I've definitely learned a lot from you and your of perspectives. Course, yeah. And it's been um, great talking to you. I, I think everyone should chat. I'm going to give you a, a chance to kind of share uh, what your social media profiles are and also to say that to my audience that it's like an actual like active platform as opposed to like what I'm doing, which is like, oh, I need to post a video. It's been like two weeks, you know, like I'm less active now, but this is like an actual like Scott's doing a lot of work to try to make it as engaging and and fun and um, inspiring for people. So um, I would highly recommend you check out the profiles that Scott is about to mention. Right. So on Instagram, that's the big one. Uh, Scott Legerhorn, that's you're going to see everything on that page. That's my behind the scenes photos, like of my process of practicing and recording. That is full performances. I do share some performances on there of etudes and other complete works, um, although a lot of them are promos for the YouTube page. More about that. Uh, and then, of course, you've got all the reels. Um, I do keep up with with the comedy of uh, of the Internet, uh, making jokes, making fun of myself, making fun of the French horn, making fun of orchestra, because what we do is is very silly. And uh, that's just as important to talk about as the uh, the, the sort of part of the classical music is how kind of funny it is sometimes. So I like making those too. Uh, and then I am on YouTube. YouTube is where you are going to see uh, the recordings of so many things, um, etudes that I record. Um, I used to do them weekly, but now I'm on the Bololi etudes and they're very hard. So they come out whenever I finish them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and those are all done in, um, they're recorded at the New World Center. They're done in full 4K. Uh, and, and, you know, they're, they are produced and edited recordings that I make myself in house. Uh, and then I also do full performances of the great solo work for horn, um, including some new arrangements that I make myself, um, just to promote that I'm working on a set of six songs by the French composer, Cécile Chaminade that I am editing this week and they'll be out by January. I'm really excited to share those with people. That's YouTube. And then, of course, I just started a TikTok, which is um, its own thing. (laughs) (laughs) I am still learning how to use TikTok. I will not lie. I don't. uh, It's new to me. It's really new to me. Um, But again, it's just more about making classical music fun and and making the work of being a classical musician fun. Um, Because we, you know, if you lock yourself in a practice room uh, and just do your scales all day. It's, it, you might get good, but it won't be very fulfilling. And so sure. I want to, I want to have a good time. Yeah. So I would highly recommend, uh, all of you check that out. If you need to get in touch with me, you can do that on, uh, that's not spit.com and that's not spit on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode or had any feelings at all, I would appreciate it if you would give a rating and a review on iTunes and do not forget to share this episode on social media so other people can find it. Scott, thank you so much one more time for being on my show. This is a pleasure. We'll have to have you back sometime. Of course. Thank you so much, Ryan. Uh, I also want to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. Stay strong. Be kind to yourself. Never stop growing. And we'll see you next time.
Hello, 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 that's not Spit fans, and welcome to the secret message of today's episode. In today's secret message, I'd like to talk about a movie that was released last month called Dune, based on a novel by Frank Herbert. The film has some pretty amazing music that you should check out, but it also has a lot of relevant philosophy. And there's a quote from both the movie and the book that I'd like to use here that I think lends itself well to the kinds of things Ryan talks about in his podcast. It goes, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. And remember, shh, don't tell Ryan.